You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. Good morning, New York. This is the Cats Roundtable. Join Cats and Kitties here Sunday morning. Three days to the election. What the heck is going on? We have Governor David Patterson with the Democratic point of view. We have uh, former Congressman Peter King with the uh, Republican point of view. We have Ed Rendell from the governor's point of view uh, in Pennsylvania. What's going on? And, and nationally, Joe Ithia are in the cities. They're hurting. Crime, crime, crime. Steve Cates, let's look up at the sky and see what's going on. And let's go first to former Congressman Peter King. Congressman King, where are we? John, I think people have been listening to the message you just gave. This, uh, I've never seen more energy or excitement or concern in any election campaign. I've been doing this now for over 50 years. Uh, I've seen more lawn signs for uh, Lee Zeldin than I've seen for any candidate ever. I have more people calling up asking me, uh, even though they're Democrats, are they allowed to vote Republican? Because they can't vote Democrat anymore. And it, but as you always say, it's not really a partisan issue. It's that they just feel that the leadership of the Democratic Party is failing them. I mean, crime is everywhere. Just the other day, we saw that a female Jago was raped in Manhattan. I mean, this is these uh, like unheard of type crimes that are happening in broad daylight or they're happening in the open. They're happening in what had been considered good areas. And uh, yet you have people like Kathy Hochul denying the crime was an issue. Then she brings in Hillary Clinton to campaign for and saying that the Republicans are somehow making this up and trying to scare people by talking about crime. Nobody, nobody has to convince anyone that crime is there. It's on the subways. It's in the streets. It's in the jogging courses. It's in parks. I mean, this is just uh, uh, it's crime that's getting out of control, which is one thing. What makes it worse is the refusal of officials to admit that their policies are causing them. I'm convinced that Lee Selvin is going to be elected our next governor. I can't believe how they can say that people are making up this crime issue. I can't believe it. People are suffering. People don't want to ride subways. People uh, don't want to ride buses. People don't want to walk around after dark. How can they say that we're making this up? John, I think they're locked into their progressive policies, their woke policies, and they just uh, refuse to accept Reality. I've known people whose uh, sons and daughters, particularly daughters, have uh, refused to go to colleges or universities in New York City because they're so concerned about crime. They're going out of state. They're going out of the city to uh, you know, get their education. It's that bad. And you have so many people who are afraid to come back to work. People are afraid to take the subways. People are afraid to take the Long Island Railroad. And uh, it's, again, in the past, I mean, you had Democrats like Ed Koch. He was tough on crime. In Washington, you had Democrats like uh, Joe Lieberman. He was tough on crime. We can go down the whole list. Uh, we had Tom Manton in the Congress who was tough on crime. You had Democratic DAs like Robert Morgenthau were tough on crime. You don't have that anymore. You have the DA in Manhattan is refusing to prosecute criminals. Uh, you have the uh, uh, city council defunding police. You have uh, riots and rapes and robberies, everything going on, and somehow Democrats saying that, uh, that you know this is not an increase uh, in crime. It's it's just madness to 
you know, to hear this and to listen to it. So no, I've got this week at all the week. In fact, that's why I wasn't at the radio station as much as I should be. I was attending Republican rallies all over Long Island for Lee Zeldin. And the turnout was amazing. We had uh, one uh, massive rally in New York, uh, in uh, in Nassau County, where the crowd was so large inside, they had to have large TV screens out in the parking lot, you know, for the overflow crowd to watch it. That's how enthusiastic it was. Also, we had both Kevin McCarthy, who, uh, if the Republicans take over the House, will be the next speaker, and Steve Scalise will be the majority leader, come in on two separate occasions to campaign for Republican candidates in Nassau County, uh, uh, Anthony D'Esposito and George Santos. Now, these are nice guys, but they didn't come in because they were nice guys. I'm talking about McCarthy and uh, 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 Scalise. They come in because they realize that Nassau County is going Republican, and they want to make sure that these congressmen get elected. And that's really happening all over the country, but especially here in New York. And we have, again, I'm strongly supporting Anthony D'Esposito for Congress in the 4th District. And then we also have other. We have rising stars like Cara Castro-Nuova running for the Assembly in the, the Elmont section of Nassau County. We have other candidates around the Steve Rhodes running for the state Senate. Jack Martin's trying to get back into the New York State Senate. And the enthusiasm is there. I mean, every meeting, every uh, demonstration and rally I've been at this week, largest crowds ever. Well, I think what you've got to tell, you gotta tell. We try to call people and almost beg them to show up. Now we're almost asking people not to show up. The crowds are so big. What you've got to tell people is, you know, because I've been a guy in the middle, always uh, a congressman, and and I've been hoping that the common-sense Democrats will tell the regressive Democrats, drop dead. But it doesn't seem like it's happening. So I'm, I'm telling people, when you, before you vote, make sure your candidate will vote for law and order. And right now, it seems like it's only the Republicans that are advocating law and order. And I'm disappointed in that. What say you? Yes, um, because not only won't the uh, uh, Democrats commit to voting for law and order, they won't admit that there's a crime issue. I mean, how can they commit to be for law and order if they don't think the crime is out there? I mean, if they don't see what's happening now, Either they're blind to reality or they just are afraid of this progressive base, or as you say, the regressive base within the Democratic Party, which seems to control their party primaries. So, no, listen, we have to uh, get the message out. I've been a Republican all my uh, life, all my political life, uh, and I believe in the Republican Party, but I've had very good relationships. Congressman King, you've been more of a common-sense person than necessarily a Republican or a Democrat. Yeah, I was in uh, several years in a row. I was selected uh, uh, the most bipartisan member of Congress. And I would fight hard for Republican principles. But when I thought the Democrats were right and I thought we could form a coalition, I did it. I've never let partisanship stand in the way of getting things done. And with Kathy Hochul, I had high hopes for Kathy Hochul. I had worked with her in Congress. I thought she was going to be a mainstream, middle-of-the-road, moderate Democrat. I wouldn't agree with her on everything, but I would see her as being a reasonable voice. Instead, she's gone further to the left than Governor Cuomo ever thought of being. She's really gotten herself locked in with the progressive leadership in Albany. And so that's why even people like Eric Adams, the mayor, he's saying bail reform doesn't work. Keyshawn Sewell, NYPD police commissioner, came out very openly this week and said that this so-called bail reform, cashless bail is not working. And yet Governor Hochul refuses to make the changes that we made. So no, this is a real turning point. And I think in New York politics and Lee Zeldin, 
Remember, John, he started out two million votes behind. There were two million more Democrats registered than Republicans. And right now, uh, most polls have the race almost even. Polls I've seen have him ahead. And in those polls, the undecided voters were almost all Democrats. And if you're the incumbents and you're in the Democratic Party and a good percentage of people in your party are not certain who they're going to vote for, that means they're probably not going to vote for you or they're not going to vote at all. So this is uh, but it's going to be tight. Listen, I'm saying Lee is going to win. But again, we have so many uh, Democrats out there. Uh, and if they're not following this closely, <clears throat> they just may go party line and vote Democrats. We have to make sure that every Republican, every independent, every Democrat who wants to vote for Laura and I get out, vote themselves and also have their friends and neighbors and relatives and family members, and everybody else. Vote for Lee Zeldin. I agree with you 110 percent that the, that we need law and order in our city. We need law and order in our country. Thank you, Congressman King, for everything you've done for our country and continue to speak out for for our country's principles. And we'll catch up maybe Tuesday night when uh, the numbers are being tallied. Absolutely. Thank you, John. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to a show that isn't about finding Republican or Democratic ideas. It's just focused on finding solutions. It's the Cats Roundtable. With us today is former Governor David Patterson, and it's three days to the election. What's going on? Governor, can you give us an update? We have three days to the election, and everybody wants to know what's going on. And can you give us the pulse of the situation? Well, the great thing about elections is that you really never know what's going on until the people go to the polls. Now, the governor, Hochul, is up uh, 4 to 8 percent, it appears, in, in, a, in a lot of the polls is one that has it neck and neck. But the poll can never tell you about turnout. That's the flaw of political polling. You don't know the future. And uh, though it appears that on both sides— there is a heavier turnout than usual, which is great for our elect- electoral process. But, you know, despite the um, acrimony that goes back and forth between the parties and everything else, it is good to know that we hold elections and we respect the results. And both of these candidates will. And um, But right now, what I would say is that the whole issue of crime that did not exist nine, ten months ago, that no one was talking about that as the number one issue has skyrocketed and they are all over the place. You hear about people being attacked on Park Avenue and um, Ms. Feinberg, the president of the MTA, was attacked at 21st Street and 6th Avenue. And uh, the other thing of difference is that um, years ago, we would hear about crime on the radio and we'd look at artist sketches of a suspect on TV. Now we we see the actual crime. All three of the uh, people being shoved on the subway situations that have occurred in the last month were, were totally on tape. You could see the whole thing. And that leaves an impression in people's minds. Governor, you're a middle-of-the-road person, and you know I'm a middle-of-the-road person. And one of the problems I have uh, is we know we got 
thousands and thousands of mentally ill people on the streets of New York that under the laws, we can't just put them in, in hospitals to take care of them. And then we know we got repeat violent criminals on the streets in New York and, 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 and eight and a half million people are suffering. And it, it seems like there are people in the, in the Democratic Party, and you, you were the chairman of the, of the state at one time, that are not acknowledging the word out on Friday was, well, this is a Republican so and so and so. I mean, I was horrified to hear that and not acknowledging there is a problem. You know, to a certain degree, if you just want to look at numbers and statistics, um, and we had Commissioner Bratton at the PAL luncheon uh, last week. And he was phenomenal. And he, he was phenomenal, and he talked about it. But um, the, some of the numbers aren't even close to where they were when he first came in with Mayor Giuliani in 1995. And even by then, crime had dropped in 1993 uh, and four under uh, Mayor Dinkins and Commissioner Kelly. But they took it very seriously, and they, uh, you know, they even did surveys before they even decided where they were going to put the police. And they found that they needed more police in the subway. You know, so it wasn't just a whim or something like that. And I think all of us are going to have to um, follow really what was some legendary crime prevention policy. Uh, Dinkins and Peter Vallone, and of course, Judge Weinberg was counsel to Peter Vallone. They went to Albany and got the legislature to pass it in 1992. 6,000 police officers came to New York. Uh, Dinkins' problem was when they got there, he wasn't there anymore. So Mayor Giuliani, you know what happens on your watch, you can take the credit for it. But the reality is, that Republicans and Democrats uh, jointly were, were uh, getting that message. And I think Republicans and Democrats are getting that message now. I see what may have obfuscated the understanding among Democrats was that Democrats were so disheartened by the Supreme Court decision over choice in June and the fact that the, in the June and the August primaries, the, the pro-choice candidates won. They even won a referendum in Kansas caused most Democrats to feel that that would be the major issue. And the major issue, uh, you know, has turned out to be crime. And it's good to hear that at this point, Governor uh, Hochul is talking about the um, she's talking about the crime uh, fighting issues that she was able to secure in the last budget, especially related to bail. I would expect that the legislature, not even as much their own fault, but they had a big uh, win in 2018 and in 2020 based on basically the fact that uh, uh, Donald Trump was president. They were running against Trump, even though it was the legislature. And they had veto-proof majorities. They probably won't have that after this year. I think it'll bring everyone to the table and finally uh, have better solutions perhaps in what we've thought up to this point. we got three days in the election. What else would you like to tell uh, America? Well, with all the acrimony going back and forth and, you know, all the antagonism and people getting really uh, overly agitated about the political process these days and, and in the last few years between Congressman Scalise and uh, Paul Pelosi, the husband of the speaker, and the, the other attacks, one glimmer of hope is that I really liked the way um, 
Congressman Zeldin and the governor spoke to each other. They disagreed, but they disagreed with, uh, you know, with respect for each other. And at the end of the debate, they did something you don't see candidates do these days, uh, not in Pennsylvania governor races and not in New York City mayor races. They shook hands. Understood. Well, Governor David Patterson, uh, we're going to have an exciting night on Tuesday night. And I, I look forward to, to breaking bread together and, and seeing if our world survives. Absolutely. I'll be there Tuesday night, by the way. Thank you so much. And I'll, we'll catch Take up care. on Tuesday. Take care. Bye-bye. With us today is Governor Ed Rendell of Pennsylvania. And he was also the former uh, chairman of the Democratic National Committee uh, of the whole country. And uh, it's three days before the election. And uh, let's get an update what uh, Governor Rendell has to say. Governor, good morning. Sunday morning, three days before the election. How are you feeling? Well, this is the most confusing election I've ever participated in, in the sense that I don't know if the polls are anywhere close to being right. The only thing we can sort of look at concretely is early voting. And I think I saw a statistic that over 30 million Americans have already cast their vote in early voting. And early voting is running as high as 18. And that's very, a little, even a little higher than 18. That's a good sign for the Democrats normally, because more Democrats use early voting than Republicans. So that, that's, that could be a sign that's good for the Democrats. We're hearing a very big turnout among millennials and Gen Xers, young people under, under 35. That is generally favors the Democrats, and this time I think it will favor the Democrats by about a 15, 18-point margin. Uh, so that's good news. Uh, good news for the Republicans. The trend lines are going in their favor. I can't tell you a state with a Senate or governor's race where the trend has been going towards the Democrat. The trends have been always going towards the Republicans. Who knows what's going to happen today, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday morning. Those things can turn around in two days if something happens. We don't know yet the effect of the attack on Nancy Pelosi's house and on her husband. Will that turn off enough independent Republicans to cause them to vote Democrat? So there's so many variables, it's hard to pick. But I would say, if I had to bet, I would bet the Republicans take back the House, not by a huge margin, but by a fairly solid margin. The Senate could go as high as 52 Republicans, as high as 52 Democrats. And there are about three or four Senate seats that are going to determine what happens there. Uh, so, and I think most of the other state legislatures are going to stay in Republican control. Most of the governors, I think Democratic governors will survive, but won't have big victories. Even Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan is not going to have a big victory. So I think it's going to be a heck of an well, interesting you know, night. Governor, Governor, you know me for 100 years. I'm sensitive to that Gretchen Whitmore uh, thing because she wants to shut down the pipelines to, to Canada. Yeah, no, I know. I know. That's something that uh, can, she can be talked to if she gets reelected. And I think the people who want to see the pipeline should make an effort to talk to her. I just want you to know the implications would be uh, it, it could go to $150 oil. Uh, if that happens, and $9 for gasoline. And what happens is, you know who makes the money? 
the people with the uh, rail cars that bring the uh, oil in instead of using the pipeline. Right. It's much more expensive. But so to answer your original question, I would say I would bet on the Republicans taking back the House, but not by as big a margin as they could have. I think the Senate race is up for grabs. And had the Republicans nominated moderate Republicans for those contested Senate seats, I think they would have definitely got control. But having a guy like Herschel Walker in Georgia, you couldn't get a worse candidate. Now, I think if Warnock beats Herschel Walker, the question is, could he have beaten any other elected official Republican? And the answer to that is probably no. And the same pattern holds true in other states. Um, I think Dr. Oz is a terrible candidate. Um, John Fetterman could be, may well beat Dr. Oz, but could he have beaten a moderate Republican? I'm not sure. So if the Republicans don't take the Senate, it'll be because they came up and gave the public some pretty wacky candidates to vote for. Well, there's a big disagreement going on with uh, uh, Leader McConnell and, uh, and uh, President uh, Trump, former President Trump, and uh, that, that could uh, have some turmoil. Well, I predict that there's a good chance that if the Republicans take back the Senate, Senator McConnell is not the leader. Who do you think they would go to that has some common sense? I think Senator Scott of Florida wants it. He's been the head of the Republican Senate Campaign Committee. But he made something that if the, if the Republicans don't take back the Senate, Senator Scott's program that he put out, which would essentially end Social Security and end Medicare, that was scary enough that he may have cost the Republicans the, the, the margin. But I think he would be a candidate. But, but, but uh, reality speaking, nobody's going to end up and Medicare or Social Security. That's the reality. Except it says in their platform, the Senate platform they put out, that they want to reduce Social Security and Medicare. And that's the first step to phasing them out. And that they have to be voted on every year, which is crazy. It's insanity. Social Security and Medicare is a lifetime commitment that our government makes to the uh, elderly. And the only thing I see changing there is since we're all living to be 100, that uh, maybe they will raise the age to 67 or 68 or whatever it is. I agree. Governor uh, Rendell, thank you for your input. Thank you for everything you've done for America so far and continue to speak out for America. And we'll catch up again real soon. Same to you, John. You keep speaking out for the things you believe in. Thank you. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. Only in America can a guy from anywhere go to sleep a pauper and wake up a millionaire. With us today is uh, Joe Ithia. Uh, he was in charge of economic development in, in the Bronx under Freddie Farrar. And then he worked for Governor George Pataki and he... Uh, he is uh, very upset about what's going on in our city, in our state. And uh, uh, Joe Ithia, tell us, uh, what is the sentiment? Give us the pulse of the situation. We got three days to go for the election. John, one of the uh, biggest issues is with crime wave that's hitting, uh, that's been happening in our city. Uh, I have to tell you that just recently, 
there was a shooting uh, near North Central Hospital. It so happens that the day before uh, I'm on the advisory board, I was there in that area at the meeting. And then to find out the following day uh, what occurred and two of uh, our officers were brought to North Central Bronx Hospital. They were released, thank God. Uh, the shooter was taken to our other city hospital, Jacoby, uh, and he died there. But this is just shooting uh, randomly in the street. So people are concerned. Is anything ever going to happen? And I think that's the main thing. I spoke to some of uh, our members of the board, uh, elderly uh, ladies who sit, and they have been saying, why vote? And I said, it's our right. You know, to vote, we could do changes, but they are upset that nothing is really being done on the crime issue. And they're afraid to take the uh, subway. Uh, most of them tell me they use the Uber car service uh, to go to appointments and stuff. But that's the issue that's haunting uh, our senior citizens, especially. Now, how is that going to uh, affect the, the other thing besides crime, crime, crime? And you know what I don't understand? Uh, you know, Freddie Farrar, which uh, uh, we both supported, was a Democrat. And there's a lot of common sense Democrats. Why aren't the common sense Democrats standing up against the crazies that don't even believe there is crime? I mean, I understand uh, they, 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 that uh, there were uh, celebrating or, or, or they were talking on Friday that uh, crime is no crime and it's a, it's a conspiracy by Republicans. I, I, I don't understand those words. Tell us, what do you think? I, I, I also think that, and you, you have stood up uh, very strongly against uh, the uh, uh, issue that the assembly and the senate have taken on the bail reform uh and and people of saying the same thing over and over john that they arrest these people and they're out uh and and it's not like they got arrested once or twice but when you hear about 18 uh, arrests and now they're back out in the street and they committed a crime like the rape that just happened in Manhattan or the shooting up here. I mean, this is a daily thing. So what who are they listening to, John? That's the big question. Is the common censors like us being, you know, defunct and stuff? They're not listening to us and they're just listening to I don't know who. But there's no changes coming. And because of that, the people are saying, you arrest somebody and they're back out in the street. So what's going on? What's our DAs doing? You know, what's our assembly uh, doing? I know you have mentioned over and over about uh, the uh, assemblyman Carl Hasty and him not wanting to move on this. Are they waiting to maybe after Election Day? Because they're all on the ballot. The Assembly, the Senate and Congress and the U.S. senators, are they waiting to see what happens or do we need everyone to do a shift, completely shift on Election Day uh, and, and get new people who understand what the regular folks out there uh, are dealing with? 
Joe, uh, we uh, both have been common sense uh, people. We both supported uh, common sense Democrats. I just uh, don't understand where where there's some Democrats that are saying we're making things up. I mean, I just don't understand that. It just takes my stomach and turns it. And Carl Hasty, I understand that he claimed uh, he uh, uh, he was claiming he wasn't having enough policemen in his district. It's interesting because it's in uh, Carl's district that uh, we had the uh, shooting uh, just yesterday. It's in Carl's district that we don't see uh, the cops unless you call and then a cop car shows up. But what happened to the cop on the beat like when we grew up, John? Uh, I remember the cop on the beat and, and, and you had the cop. I've seen officers, which I've approached to say hello to, in a cop car, and they tell me, oh, we just came here to pick up a sandwich, (laughs) but they're not patrolling. How about putting the cops back in the streets like we used to uh, have in in our days? We both agree. uh, Having police officers in the streets in New York, we got to also protect our, our police officers because they're scared to make arrests. And, John, listen. We've got a lot of uh, young officers out there now who uh, recently graduated. Uh, they're going to be on the streets. But you're going to get the feeling of these young uh, folk, these young officers who are saying, OK, we arrest. We got to fill out all these papers. And then they're released uh, by the system. And it's a waste of time. And, and gee, we can't allow that to happen. There's got to be something that stops these criminals from continuing. And when you have uh, officers sitting in in vans and stuff at housing projects, I mean, I could tell you right here in the Bronx, you you can't go to a housing project where you don't find uh, police vans sitting there and they'll tell you it's the gang activity within the housing uh, project. Joe Ithia, let's pray for our city, pray for our state, pray for our country and and I hope everybody does the right thing and, and vote the number one item, law enforcement in our city and our state. Thank you so much. Well, thank, thank you, John. And I hope everyone comes out and, and gives their right to vote and, we were, and vote for the right folks to see if we have changes. Thank you so much. With us today is Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky. You look up in the skies on weekends and you relax and you wonder what's up there. Well, Dr. Sky, Steve Cates will will give us some more information that will expand our minds. Uh, Steve, how are you this weekend? I'm doing great, John. Good morning to all the listeners. We got some great information. We start with space. What an exciting week for SpaceX. Their 50th launch of the year. The Falcon Heavy gets launched on time. No problems launching two satellites. By the way, this is part of the Space Force. Uh, They have a special deal going, that is SpaceX. They have a contract to launch many of the so-called secret satellites that we have here in America. And the two objects that are on board there, hopefully they're up into space by now, they went up to what we call geosynchronous orbit, which means that's about 22,000 miles above the Earth. And, you know, John, you got to wonder, and this isn't to knock NASA at all. It's just an observation that many people even ask me, and I'm sure you're concerned. How can SpaceX have all these successful launches when we don't seem to be able to get NASA to get the big moon rocket off the ground? I mean, that's a startling uh, contrast, don't you think? 
You know, I think people are starting to wonder, and I I think maybe Congress is scratching their head, too, uh, because it looks like SpaceX is getting a lot of business. Absolutely. It actually saved Elon Musk's business. I know at one time in his past, he was obviously trying to seek government money. So we have to say that the government's really helped him. And even when he started way back in like maybe 2004 and five, talking about these particular rockets, he's had great success. But I wanted to also mention, John, the first of the Falcon heavies that was ever launched was launched back on February 6th of 2018. And the payload on there, Elon Musk selected his own personal Tesla Roadster. Many people know that. And he had a little dummy in there, which is Starman. But how about this? The most contaminated object probably ever launched into space, and some people wonder about this, is that Tesla X little Roadster. Because remember, it was driven on the freeways of Los Angeles. And some out there, maybe they're over, you know, overly concerned. They were saying that they hope those microbes, whatever's on that space, uh, you know, on that particular Roadster, if it ever landed on a planet, which it won't, it could contaminate the planet with microbes from the Earth. But it's a great achievement that what he's doing. Now, on the flip side, if we talk about the Artemis One, it's been thought that this particular rocket will not go up earlier than probably around the middle of November. But I know there's a big press conference going on, so we'll keep you updated on that. Latest information was that it was going to launch no earlier than about November the 14th, which is quite fascinating. You know, John, we always talk about the mystery of the week, and there's so many categories to go to. But I selected one that I think is really interesting. How about the planet Venus? That planet, John, gets closest to the Earth than any planet. It can get within 25 million miles of the Earth. But here's the mystery. Venus, like the Earth in size, not like the Earth in temperature, it rotates backwards, and the day on Venus, John, is longer than its year. So if you and I were on Venus, God help us, the temperature's over 900 degrees Fahrenheit, the sun would rise in the west, and it would cross the sky in Venus about a year's time, which is over 240 days of the time that Venus is out there. Here's the mystery. What happened to all the water that might have been there? What happened to maybe life that was there? Isn't that a strange situation, a planet that close, like the Earth, but not at all like the Earth? Everybody talked about life on Mars. Nobody Mm -hmm. ever talked about life on Venus. And I understand with uh, some of the other uh, spacecraft that have gone near the Soviet Union or, or Russia or other people that there's been a few things that they were scratching their head about. Uh, Can you tell us about some of these things that they're scratching their head about? Well, sure. First of all, John, let's give the comparison. Russia, the Soviet Union, then sent spacecraft to land on Venus, and we've done our job of getting spacecraft there. But as soon as you get there, the pressure on the surface of Venus is as if you went down and I went down in the ocean about 3,000 feet. The spacecraft didn't survive. But astronomers and astrophysicists and even astrobiologists are saying this that life in the universe, meaning microbial life, may be closer than we think. And we're talking about the planet Venus. Now, just what I said before, nothing survives a 900 degrees temperature that we know of. So there might be in the Venusian clouds these little particles or maybe some kind of things. They call them phosphines. In other words, phosphines are an ingredient for life. And as primitive as that may be, 
those particular particles may be suspended in the atmosphere of Venus. So we have so much research to do about this planet. It's gotten so much uh, billing in the science fiction world with all kinds of, you know, Twilight Zone episodes and all kind of Outer Limits episode about, you know, people visiting and going to Venus or extraterrestrials. But who knows, John, maybe life might be closer than we think in the microbial sense. And some astronomers say maybe we're looking in the wrong place. It might be as close as Venus and not on Mars. And that's an exploration that continues. Yesterday or today, there was talking about uh, Mars, uh, about uh, the, the vast oceans that might have been uh, on Mars and what happened to them. After another mystery of the week, what happened to the water on Venus? I mean, excuse me, on Mars, because Mars is a planet. We have rovers like Perseverance that are digging into the Gale Crater, and they're trying very hard to find out the, you know, the leftover remnants or fossilized forms of life. There was also a story going on this week about strange objects seen on one of Mars's moons. What was that about? Well, John, this is a great story, and here, hopefully time permits. The two moons of Mars are called Deimos and Phobos. They're the two horses that led the Roman hot eras, or Mars, into battle. This little object, Phobos, which is a very strange satellite, there's things on that satellite that they've just looked at. So in other words, there's strange configurations and craters on there. Who knows what really is the origin of the, of the satellites of Mars? Because they were actually written about in a book, Gulliver's Travel. Jonathan Swift wrote this book a long, long time before they were discovered, that is, the moons of Mars. So what makes the moons of Mars in many people's imaginations, they think, who knows, maybe they're artificial satellites or replicants of some alien technology. So we have to explore them more, and there are some missions that are hopefully going to land on Phobos, and that will be really exciting coming up in the future. You know what I, uh, what I pray for? That yes. we live long enough to find out a little bit more truth about what the heck is going on out there. Well, John, that's exactly the whole purpose of this, is to open people's minds and expand their minds, particularly on Sundays here, when obviously the news is mostly political now. But I wanted to remind people of something they can actually see coming up this particular coming week. On early Tuesday morning, across a good part of your listening audience, that is across America, there's another total lunar eclipse that's going to take place. On the East Coast, that event happens just before sunrise at best, in the West Coast, the full eclipse is visible. But what's so strange about that is that this is the first time, John, in at least American history, that we've ever had a total lunar eclipse coincide with Election Day. So as people are getting ready to cast their ballots in person, and many will, just know that before that, the preceding event is a very unusual deep blood-red moon eclipse. Isn't that fascinating? And isn't that kind of a strange thing, coincidentally? Very strange. Well, uh, Dr. Sky, we look forward to talking to you every week. Is there any other mysteries this week? John, I could go on for two hours, but I want to let people know we can find out answers to many of those. And thanks to you and the station, just simply go to WABC Radio forward slash Dr. Sky. We've got a ton of podcasts that we've been producing and added on. And we've got so many things that they can actually go to our blog site. And they can actually follow along, and you can even download a star chart on paper so you and your families can go out and observe the wonders of the sky. And what do we say, John? Always remember to keep your eyes to the skies. We've got other content up there about American exceptionalism and how, of course, we as a proud nation continue to be strong, and particularly as we you know, salute our veterans and all those that served our country. God bless America. God bless America. Thank you so much. 
You're listening to the show where you can hear New York's top newsmakers interviewed by New York's first citizen. It's the Cats Roundtable. With us today is former Governor Andrew Cuomo. And uh, Andrew, uh, Governor, uh, you have a lot to say. I understand your podcast is doing great. I understand you have another podcast coming out tomorrow uh, with uh, Commissioner Kelly. And I've had Commissioner Kelly on this show uh, many a times. And he is mad as hell as what's going on in our city and our state. I'm as mad yeah. as hell, <laughs> well, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Uh, is that Commissioner <laughs> Kelly on the other line? That's all of New York. That's all of New York. You're right. <laughs> That is all of New York. How are you doing, John? Good. I am doing good. And right there we have uh, two common sense Democrats uh, in the studio. And um, so you're at an advantage. Everybody loves you. Well, uh, first, hello, John. Lydia, how are you? Judge, how are you? And Laura Curran. Hello. Oh, a great county executive. Oh, she thank really you. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. Her it's good to hear your voice. Is, her own <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Supporting Tom Kaminsky. No, John, Laura was collateral damage yep. yes. to the yes. Albany Democrats. That's what that was. And was we, were, we were just damage. talking. It's going to be interesting to see what happens to that Senate makeup uh, after this election. Well, the, the Democrats... Uh, you know, it's everyone says the same thing about this election. That's what's fascinating. Uh, if people vote on the social issues, abortion, et cetera, the Democrats win. Uh, if they vote on crime in the economy, uh, the Republicans win. Uh, the, the answer is you have to talk to both. Mm-hmm. You know, New Yorkers are worried about social issues. Uh, God bless them. But they're also worried about crime and the economy. I went out on the street yesterday. Uh, You know, New Yorkers, God bless them. They tell you exactly what they think. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was overwhelming that the issue is crime. They're worried about the condition of the city. Uh, Commuters who come in from Nassau, from Jersey, et cetera, are worried about the condition of the city. And I tell you, it had to be 90 percent. And I don't know why the Democrats and this is nationwide. I don't know why they can't be more aggressive addressing the issue of crime. You can be a progressive, but you still understand that job one is public safety. Uh, Governor, where did Albany lose that? Somewhere they lost their way. Albany lost it. Because they are a goldfish bowl mm-hmm. and they are afraid of the far left, uh, the advocacy community and the extreme left, the democratic socialists. Uh, and that's who they listen to all day long. And they're just out of touch. Uh, the Todd Kaminsky race, the Laura Curran race you're talking about. They were just totally out of touch with New Yorkers and Long Island. But the governor, the current governor uh, is saying, what is she saying? Right. Governor Hochul said over the weekend uh, with Reverend Al Sharpton, she said that this whole perception of crime is a GOP conspiracy. She actually doubled down. She said crime is down 15 percent and you, you're you safer in Democratic cities. But nobody knows. It's, that's not it, the truth. It's not the truth. Governor Cuomo, what is your reaction when you heard that she also said during the debate with Lee Zeldin that, why are you so obsessed with crime? Democrats uh, get tongue-tied when it comes to crime. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's uh, a fear from the uh, crime bill in 1994 that went too far. I don't know if it's post-George Floyd. Uh, I think it's mostly the far left 
But if you listen to them, nobody should go to jail ever, you know. Uh, and that's a nice theory. It's just not reality. So, so I think Democrats, it's not just in New York, though. It is all across the country. They are pulled by the far left. And they are afraid to say dangerous criminals have to be in jail. They're afraid to say it. That's right. And I'm concerned some some good Democrats. You know, we've got Laura Gillen running in my district for Congress. And, you know, my concern is that the national narrative is taking over even for those races you know, she had nothing to do with with any of this stuff. She never was had that kind of responsibility. She had a different she was, you know, town of Hempstead supervisor, uh, very common sense Democrat. So I'm wondering if like now that you both you and I are out of office, Andrew, uh, there's a little bit of muscle memory around campaign time. I can't help but get excited. I'm watching everything. I'm sort of it's easier and it's easier for me to say from the cheap seats what people are should be doing. Uh, but it came to my attention, this Trafalgar poll had you actually performing really well if you were running right now. Have, have you had a chance to see that? I saw it. And it's gratifying, Laura. But to me, it's a symptom, right? Uh, there is the disconnect between what people think, what New Yorkers think, and what the politicians in Albany do. Frankly, what the press reports is night and day. Uh, that poll, New Yorkers were very positive on my performance as governor. Uh, and that poll said that uh, I would be far ahead of uh, Zeldin mm-hmm. uh, in this Ten race. points. Ten points. Yeah. So I think, look, New Yorkers are always ahead of the politicians, right? Uh, and I think you're right. Your, your race, though, should have been an early warning sign. Exactly. That's Canary in the coal first. mine. And I wish yes. and I feel like I've been screaming from the rooftops. Don't underestimate this issue of crime. It is real and it is out there. And I was good on the issue, you know, safest community in America three years in a row. I was very clear about about, you know, law enforcement and, and making sure that we keep our community safe. So I, I wasn't even shy about it. And it still got me. Governor, well, it's, uh, because. They paint with a broad brush. Uh, Kaminsky was running for district attorney. He is a pure uh, creature of Albany. He drank the Albany Kool-Aid. And then they paint with a broad brush, and I'm afraid they do it now also. I just, uh, your race was a canary in the coal mine. Look, the Democratic chairman lost his own backyard, right? Uh, Listen to the people and why, why can't the Democrats say what they've always said, right? What David Dinkins said, what Mario Cuomo said, uh, that safety is job one. Don't be ashamed of it. That's the, that's the first function of government. And if the far left wants to say, oh, you're talking about putting people in jail. No, in this state, we have the most progressive criminal justice reforms. I closed more prisons than any governor in history, Uh, raised the age of criminal liability. We have more programs in prison. We ended the abuses in prison with extreme solitary confinement. Nobody's been more progressive on criminal justice. But you still have to keep people safe, and that means dangerous people have to be put in jail. Say it, and because everybody knows it. 
So my question to you is, why are some Democrats like you and, and Laura Curran willing to stand up and have the courage and say, yo, you people are crazy. There is crime on the streets and this is bad and we need to do something about it. Whereas some other Democrats, they're just going along with with this. Like, well, I think there's also a concern to get out the base. And there's a, there's a feeling out there that if you aren't if you are not hard on crime, that will inspire the base to come out. We'll see if that's true in this election. And, and Laura touched on it. The Democrats are afraid of the far left because the far left threatens them in primaries. Mm. That's what they did to me uh, every year. They threaten you in a primary. And the far left is uh, potent in a Democratic primary because you have a lower turnout. You have the activists who tend to uh, uh, vote at a higher percentage. So they threaten the moderate Democrats. The moderate Democrats are intimidated. Second factor, you have like a group think in Albany. Uh, you're supposed to be one of the club. And that's I was never one of the club. By the way, my father was never one of the club. Hmm. Uh, I never wanted to be one. Your of the father club. was one tough guy. I remember that. Oh, yeah. And uh, I told them I would tell them the truth. And I would push them and I would take them on politically. Uh, I took on the Todd Kaminsky's of the world publicly. Mm -hmm. And they then come back to get you, which is what they did to me, by the way. I had the far left angry. The political establishment in Albany found me disruptive to their politics because I believed in the truth. You know, well, they had their own Albany myth. And in politics, enemies accumulate, you know, so I paid that price and I told the political establishment to go to heck. Uh, (laughs) No swearing. I'm I'm proud of that. Thank you for being with us for the Cats Roundtable Local Edition, the number one show on Sunday mornings in New York. Keep listening to us for the Cats Roundtable National Edition between nine o'clock and ten o'clock. So we'll be back to you in a few minutes after the news.